welcome everybody to another edition of Media Sandwich with me, Kyle Martinak, uh, your uh, chef du jour taking you through all of the headlines of the media empires that we are sadly devoted to because they're the ones that give us all the good stuff to consume, consume, consume the content. So let's consume the content uh, to start with some video game news. Uh, not a lot of video game news crossed my desk, but if there's one thing that did, it is, uh, Hogwarts Legacy has been delayed to February 10, 2023. So if you are interested in being a witch or wizard in training, uh, in, in the open world MMO that they're setting in the Harry Potter universe or the, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, they're really fond of that phrase, uh, hey, look, sorry, you got another six months to wait. Uh, Warner Brothers and Avalanche Software announced the delay the other day on Twitter. Uh, th this new release date, by the way, is for the PC, PlayStation, and Xbox versions. The Switch release is still without a date. Presumably, you know, they gotta compress that game so that it fits into that smaller box. Uh, that's how it works, right? That's the technical way of describing it. They take the game and they squish it down so that it fits in the smaller console. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know a lot about video games. But <laughs> the game was announced back in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 2020 to 2023, that, that development cycle with this delay... It, it sounds perfectly reasonable to me, considering the scope of the project. An MMO like that takes, you know, a lot of time to figure out, especially a cross-platform one like that. So I don't see a problem with that. I'm always an advocate of take longer with the game, avoid crunch, avoid, you know, day one patch requirements. I've said this before, just give us the game when the game's actually finished and delays are worth it in that respect. You give me a game that's halfway done, and yeah, that's what it feels like is I've paid money for a halfway done game, and that pisses me off as a consumer, me personally. But anyway, if you don't know anything about the game, uh, Hogwarts Legacy apparently takes place in the late 1800s at the Wizard School, and Apparently you start off as a fifth year student, which I thought was kind of surprising. I guess that's probably to avoid having to spend the first like 10 hours of the game on tutorials that are just going to like enrage you. Like, so this is a wand. This is your broomstick. This is what potions do. Like, yeah, I get all of it. I get it. I'm playing a Harry Potter game. I get it. I, I don't need any of that stuff explained to me. That stuff would drive me absolutely banana sandwich if I had to deal with it. So I get I get the artistic idea of start out as a fifth year. Uh, I won't be playing this game, though. Honestly, <laughs> I won't be. Not just because I'd rather not give even a fraction of a red cent to J.K. Rowling, but also just because I'm, I'm not that interested in MMO games. Online MMOs have never really been my bag. Frankly, this one, being set in the Harry Potter world... It kind of strikes me as being 10 years too late for this. I get serious uh, The Matrix Online vibes from Hogwarts Legacy uh, in terms of, no, no, seriously, this this game's plot is going to be a big part of the story's canon, the big, you know, the overarching sagas 
uh, canon, so you gotta play it so that you know what's going on, man. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here going like, uh, no, your canon's over with, my dudes. You know, transphobia from the creator of the thing and several, you know, disgusting beasts and where to find them uh, in the cast of those movies that are coming out. Those beast movies are incomprehensible to me. And Warner Brothers being so desperate to have their ongoing cinematic universe after the Potter movies ended that they greenlit five of them. Five of them sight unseen? You're kidding me. If we actually see a fifth one of those get released, I'll eat a shoe at this point. What with what with the Johnny Depp and the Ezra Miller and the J.K. Rowling and the fact that the last one was released to almost no fanfare at all? I mean, just like that guy who insisted that Top Gun would never happen, I'll eat a shoe. He had to eat a shoe, of course, but I... I'm far more confident that if Beasts 5 actually ever happens, it's just going to be poor Dan Fogler sitting there reading out loud from a script that J.K. Rowling, you know, typed up on the toilet or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you do want to play Hogwarts Legacy, I don't begrudge you that. The money's already in the self-righteous loony's pocket, and it's worth noting that WB Games has been trying like hell to distance this game from all of her bile since the game was announced. They've been trying really hard. You just know that every time she pops off with another of her unsolicited opinions on Twitter, that some poor person in their marketing department at WB Games has an ulcer that grows just a little bit bigger. And and I really feel for that person. It is not their responsibility. It's It's not their job to try to police that kind of bad publicity. I think they're doing an admirable job of trying to protect the hard work of all of these game developers from the whims of a billionaire who just has too much time on her hands. You know, I'm just trying to provide a little bit of, like, you know, background on the idea of why would J.K. Rowling double down on these crazy-ass things that she says right about the time the new movie Fantastic Beasts 3 came out, or right about the time that they've decided to announce Hogwarts Legacy, or the, uh, what was it, Pottermore, the the website, the, the whatever it was, the website that was supposed to be this Potter-centric, like, social media extravaganza. Every time that she gets close to a big announcement of something that's going to make her more and more giant stacks of cash... She pops off, and the pe the poor media people, the poor marketing people are sitting there going, Stop it! Stop! Your timing, at very least, is terrible. And that's... Them. I, don't, I don't think that that has anything to do with the delay on this game. I just think that it's curious that these poor people have to have that added obstacle of, Okay, well, we gotta finish the game on time, because that's one of the main problems with the video game industry is they are release date centric. We were talking about this last week with movie release dates where it was like, okay, we've we've got a release date for this movie. Do we have a script for it? The video game industry has a big problem with that, and it's doubly hard if the creator of the world that your game is set in has to make really bad decisions in terms of when they're going to pop off and say something really gross about people that don't affect them at all. 
anyway, um, like I said, bummer, bummer trip. So let's uh, take a let's take a swerve into something more fun with movie news. Um, there's a uh, big thing that happened uh, in terms of the headlines. There's a big budget movie reboot of the classic Lee Majors television show, The Fall Guy, coming soon to theaters, I imagine. Uh, the director, David Leach, who apparently, uh, he co-directed the first John Wick with uh, Chad Stahelski. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their names right, by the way. I'm sorry. I believe it's Stahelski. Uh, but uh, he, Chad Stahelski, was the only one credited on John Wick, but the two of them co-directed. And then Leach also directed Atomic Blonde, the kind of John Wick, you know, esque action movie for Charlize Theron. Uh, he also directed Deadpool 2. Uh, he directed The Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. And also this summer's Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt. Anybody see that? I know I didn't. But um, he also co-produced Nobody, the John Wick-esque action movie for Bob Odenkirk. So you can kind of see, like, he also was a stunt uh, coordinator back in the olden days, I, you know, on many things. That's how him and uh, Stahelski got into doing John Wick with Keanu was, you know, he, he uh, made the transition there. So he's been attached to develop and direct the Fall Guy reboot uh since since it was announced back in 2020 so he's been on it since it was in gestation to begin with and uh, if those of you are too young or you just didn't follow 80s television at all the fall guy was a very fun show lee majors uh starred in it kind of in the the twilight years of his square jawed action hero days uh he played a guy who was a stuntman during the day but he was uh, he would moonlight as a bounty hunter, so he would use his stuntman skills, you know, to to wrangle some bail jumpers and stuff like that. It was fun, kind of detective without having to be a detective kind of show, which were big in the eighties. Uh, fun show, I thought. The bits of it that I've seen over the course of my life on, you know, TV land and whatnot. So the big announcement this week, though, we've we've known about David Leach uh, being attached, but the big announcement this week was that Ryan Gosling is uh, going to be playing Colt Seavers, presumably, the, the Lee Majors role, and Emily Blunt is also going to star, presumably as uh, uh, Cody... Uh, I'm sorry, not Cody Banks. <laughs> not Cody Banks. Jody Banks. <laughs> the... Uh, the stunt woman who hung out with the Lee Majors character, uh, she was played by Heather Thomas on the TV show. So he would get a lot of, like, you know, his, his like, cousin was a stuntman in training, and then Jody would show up, and they would kind of form a team of stunt people who would, you know, be bounty hunters, too. It's kind of a goofy premise, but it's, I think it sounds like fun to bring this one back and turn it into, like, an, a summer blockbuster kind of thing. Although I have to say, it really strikes me as a better television plot than it does a big movie plot. It sounds very episodic or serialized more than anything, so I don't know how they're going to make the transition to movies. But the show is one of those great old things that Quentin Tarantino likes to dig up, 
as an example of why stunt people should be more respected and revered in the entertainment industry. Hard agree on my point. Why don't we have an Oscar for stunts? There should be an Oscar for stunts. Stunts should be a bigger part of the entertainment industry, regardless of what we can do with computers nowadays. Stunt is, stunts are an art form, but it, it is fitting that one of the co-directors of John Wick, who previously did cook up stunts uh, for stuff like, I think he was on the Jason Bourne series for a bit, but it's fitting that he be the director of The Fall Guy. It's kind of fun kismet. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the premise lends itself to some comedy to accompany the action, hopefully. Uh, I really kind of hope that there's some humor in it. I don't want it to be a gritty, straight-faced action movie like the John Wicks and the Wick likes, the Wick likes that we see a lot now. It's a cool thing that's happening in action movies that a lot of them come out like the John Wick for insert your favorite character actor here, stuff like that. But I want more flavors, and this sounds like it could be great as a different flavor with some some humor. Especially, hey, if you decide to set this movie in the 80s, that would be really smart. It'd be really funny. It would be really great. It would, it would also, uh, if you got Ryan Gosling as the lead... Put some humor, put that 80s uh, setting to work in helping Ryan Gosling provide some more funny energy like he had in The Nice Guys as opposed to the stony lack of energy that he had in The Gray Man this year. Give me that funny Gosling. That's what I want. Uh, the guy is too good at comedy to just leave that sitting on a shelf, I think. I, I don't know what his chemistry is like with uh, Emily Blunt, but hopefully it's better than her chemistry with Dwayne Johnson in Jungle Cruise. I like Emily Blunt a lot. I thought, you know, uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat, whatever you want to call it. She's great in that. Uh, she was amazing in Sicario. Really loved her in that one. She is a great action lead. So... I think it's a easy slam dunk to let Gosling play Colt Seaver, the stuntman, as a bit of an overly confident dolt. Like, you know, the kind of guy who falls off a horse for a living, you know, presumably he would treat a new side, you know, gig as a bounty hunter like falling off a horse, right? So let him be a little bit of a doof and let Blunt steal the movie as the more kind of serious-minded partner. That's the easy pitch, I think. It sounds like potentially some good times at the movies. Uh, but, oh, speaking of movies, update. Uh, to bring that back, update. Uh, this really isn't news, per se. It's more just like a fun thing that happened that in regards to something that I talked about last week. Uh, Aubrey Plaza has been doing the talk show circuit to promote her new movie, uh, Emily the Criminal, which looks like a really harrowing turn for her. I, uh, I know most people think of Aubrey Plaza, they go straight to April Ludgate in their minds, and for good reason. You know, she's one of the reasons why Parks and Recreation worked so well as a show. But if you followed her movie career since that show, you've seen her in a lot of weird stuff, like uh, Ingrid Goes West, um, the Child's Play remake that she was in a couple of years ago. She was the lead in that. So 
Aubrey Plaza's got range as an actor, like you read about, even if you weren't aware of that. But uh, anyway, while promoting Emily the Criminal, she talked about how Edgar Wright recently texted her with a photo of her as Emily the Criminal, and it looked it looked to him oddly like she was tricked out to to be Lara Croft, like she had a similar top on and i guess there was a purse that kind of looked like a little bit like a holster or something maybe it was like a little clutch that she just happened to be holding down by her thigh or something but edgar wright who worked with aubrey plaza on my beloved scott pilgrim versus the world he was like so are you cast as lara croft now or what and uh that's the extent of the news it's really not news it was just you know a fun a little funny made by one of our one of our beloved directors and uh plaza in talking about this she indeed did the actor thing and said i'd totally be down to play that character absolutely she's a badass i would love to and uh there was a fun chuckle to be had by all namely jimmy fallon who i think it was on his show uh that's that's literally the extent of the news on that. But that got me thinking, hey, hey, hey now, let's think about what a Tomb Raider movie or a Tomb Raider streaming series, as I maintained last week, let's think about what that might look like with Aubrey Plaza in the role. Uh, it's, it's funny, this coming just a week off of uh, me talking about that, but also a week off of uh, Prey coming out on Hulu... I saw a lot of folks name-checking Aubrey Plaza in reference to Amber Midthunder, the actress who plays Naru in Prey, the lead. And yeah, they do. The two actresses do have a very similar penetrating stare that I think could really be put to use if you put Aubrey Plaza in that kind of like gripping action thriller. So you think about a Lara Croft played by Plaza. She's, she's like 38 years old now, I say dispense with the origin story get it get it out of there we don't need it anymore i love those rebooted games that they kind of based the last version the uh, vikander version off of i love those games uh and the reboot was terrific but it's kind of like the spider-man origin story at this point you know you can very easily just you know everybody knows everybody knows the basics of who lara croft is enough to where they could get into it you don't have to spend the first 30 minutes of a movie or god forbid the whole movie doing the origin the rise of the tomb raider if you will uh instead i say give me a lara croft who has her phd she's already world renowned she's been on several of those big adventures uh she's famous for having discovered stuff you know in a tomb of some kind or for you know surviving the big plane crash and being marooned on a uh, dangerous island and such all of that's already happened right imagine Aubrey Plaza as Lara Croft being bubbly or you know witty and cutting as the keynote speaker at an archaeology summit and then we see her like go back to her hotel room and she's like haunted the 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 survival has really changed her as a person kind of like tom hanks at the end of castaway she can't sleep in the bed she you know has has like real if not anxiety at least just kind of a a you know thousand yard stare and then she's called into action again right 
skip straight to the plot of what would be probably the third movie if Christopher Nolan was making it. Like, uh, give Lara Croft her Dark Knight Rises or something like that. If it was a show, if you did it as a streaming show, you can do that shtick that they do on uh, Arrow, or they did on Arrow, or Westworld, or a bunch of other shows where you want to show that origin story, you just flash back to it, baby. You just do a flashback to the origin story whenever you need to tag up her current plot problem with a similar problem that helped shape her personality in her past. It's so easy. It's so economical of storytelling. It Again, easy slam dunk here. Who has the rights to the Tomb Raider movies yet? Has that been solidified? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. But that I think that's potentially cool. And that is a star. That's a star name that I think could hold together a movie like that. It'd be a really cool turn for her career to jump into action, action hero stuff, too. Uh... Anyway, that's movie news. Uh, didn't have a whole lot, just that. Moving on, we've got uh, comic book news. And what can I say, my friends? It's a day that ends in Y, so naturally we have a news story about how the comic book industry seems to be receding faster than my hairline. Uh, anybody know Valiant Comics? Anybody familiar with that one? If you don't, uh, very brief background, Valiant was a comic book publisher in the early 90s who, at one point, they overtook Marvel and became the number two publisher behind DC. This was during those really dark days for Marvel where they were, like, selling off office furniture and shit. Uh, <laughs> so Valiant, you know, kind of stepped up and became the second most popular. Their lineup of characters and books that they had in their own little universe were... You could call them a little derivative, you know, they were, they were a little thin in spots. They had, they had their own team of superpowered teenagers akin to the X-Men, uh, that was called Harbinger. They had a supernatural Avenger type named Shadow Man. Uh, if I remember right, his background was steeped a lot in New Orleans flavored, uh, voodoo stuff. Or maybe that's just from the newer version. But they also had a mismatched buddy vigilante team called Archer and Armstrong that was very cool. Uh, they had a full-blown Flash Gordon kind of space opera thing called Exo Manowar. And the one that most people know about, especially these days, the Vietnam War veteran turned cyborg killing machine known as Bloodshot. Vin Diesel fans just perked up because they recognize Bloodshot. So, yeah, the long story short is that uh, Valiant was starting to get pretty big in those early 90s days, and then the company was sold to Acclaim Entertainment back in 94. Now, Acclaim, you might remember, was a video game publisher that made a lot of really, really gross and stupid business decisions, along with a handful of somewhat memorable video games. They, I mean, they did marketing stunts. Like, they attempted to buy uh, advertising space on actual people's tombstones at one point. Uh, well, and for one thing, they bought Valiant Comics. Uh, they mostly bought Valiant so that they could harvest the characters and make games out of them, namely Shadow Man and Turok. Remember Turok? He started as a comic book character, a Turok the Dinosaur Hunter, Way back in the 50s was when he started, but by the 90s, he was a valiant comic book property. 
And so Acclaim bought the comic book company just so that they could make the video games. They tank the comic book company because they just start pushing out books as promotional material for the video games, right? And then uh, they lost the license to do the WWF wrestling video games. I think it was the WWF license. They lost that about 2004, and right about there they filed for bankruptcy. Acclaim did. By then, Valiant was already in the toilet, gone. Uh, But in 2005, right after that, a bunch of investors got together to form Valiant Entertainment, and they bought the library and the characters from what remained of Acclaim's uh, business arms, and they endeavored to build it back into a big comic book publisher. They started out small. They reprinted collections of the old stories. They would bring in the old Valiant editors to maybe write some new short stories or material. And then in 2012, they launched The Summer of Valiant, a a big gigantic push to uh, publish a bunch of new stuff, like a dozen reboot titles of all their old characters, uh, starting with Harbinger, Bloodshot, uh, I think Archer and Armstrong, uh, Quantum and Woody, uh, uh, Shadow Man, Dr. Mirage, all of that stuff came a little bit later, but... The Summer of Valiant was a really big thing. They started with at least a half a dozen books right out the gate. And I'm biased here, but they were really great comic books. You've never seen a unified like comic book universe such as the Marvel world or the DC world just sprout from the ground as fully realized and tonally perfect as this one did. It was a really great summer for comic book readers, I think. Uh, My background on Valiant books and and the characters was that I actually bought them the 90s books for like three for a dollar at a locally owned and operated independent dollar store, which was a thing that existed before Dollar Tree and Dollar General and those big chains killed such stores. But the one that was right near my house, they just happened to have bought some big collection of 90s comic books, I think, and 90s comic books are still to this day basically worthless in the collector world so they just threw a couple of long boxes on the shelf and said hey three for a dollar whatever so i ended up buying everything i bought an entire long box full of books including the entire 13 issue run of the original dr mirage some of the original harbingers i discovered valiant comics by accident in this big box of stuff and so in, in 2012, as an adult with disposable income, I was like, woohoo, I'm buying and reading all of these. So I own the entire Summer of Valiant in single issues still, and they're in the same long box with those old 90s books in a closet somewhere here in my apartment. But great stuff. Anyway, I tell you all of that. I tell you all of that. Uh, To bring you up to speed now, a couple of years ago, Valiant made a push to get in on this whole comic book movie craze that will never catch on in any way, shape, or form, right? Uh, They they made a deal with Sony to make five Valiant-based movies, starting with, you guessed it, Bloodshot, starring Vinny D. And that didn't work out for anybody uh that movie didn't do well at all i mean i mean it was a pandemic movie so that was a problem but i think if you know 
take the pandemic away, that movie probably wouldn't have done great in the first place. Uh, so yeah, we haven't seen anything else related to that movie deal since. It's been two years. We haven't heard hide nor hair about it. But just before that deal was inked, Valiant Entertainment was acquired by DMG Entertainment. Now that's a filmmaking shingle that's most famous for co-producing uh, Ryan Johnson's Looper. Uh, they co-produced Iron Man 3 alongside Marvel Studios. Uh, they And they produced a handful of other titles over the last couple of years, like, uh, well, Wally Fister's uh, Transcendence. Uh, if, you, if you don't know Wally Fister, he's a very famed uh, DP, a, a director of photography or cinematographer, whichever he goes by, on a lot of your favorite, like, Christopher Nolan movies, but he directed his first uh, movie, Transcendence, starring Johnny Depp. And uh, they also, DMG, produced the remake of Point Break. Oof. Oof on both of those. Uh, Transcendence was not great. And the uh, surprisingly really good comedy, Blockers, if you remember, that's the Leslie Mann, John Cena movie where their parents and their teenage daughters are trying to lose their virginity. Pretty good one. Pretty funny movie. But... Yeah, the Valiant acquisition was kind of their big thing, and that steered them towards this deal with Sony. So they did, in fact, DMG produced Bloodshot in 2020, and they have not produced a movie since. I think they put a lot of eggs in that basket, and to disastrous results. So... All of that in mind, let's get all the way back to the comic book news. How does this go back to news, you know, current day news in the comic book world? Uh, Valiant Comics has announced amid lots of reports of layoffs and cutbacks that they're scaling back their publishing slate to one comic book title per month. They abruptly canceled the latest version of Archer and Armstrong, which was, uh, it was only four issues into, well, it was actually only a five-issue miniseries, but they cut it off at four. They're not going to produce the fifth one that was already written, so that arc doesn't get an ending. Sucks. Uh, and then they're going to start the company's first mature readers-only title with Bloodshot Unleashed. So that'll be kind of like the Marvel Max comics that you remember from some years ago, where it's aimed directly at adult-only readers. So lots of blood, violence, and stuff. That's a gonna that's gonna be a five-issue miniseries starting in September, but it's only gonna run one issue per month, and that's gonna be their only book. So after that, in January, then they return to a story that they we're doing previously called book of shadows that's a kind of supernatural crossover team up which includes uh, the aforementioned shadow man and dr mirage alongside the eternal warrior and a couple of other characters who are kind of magic and supernatural based and then after they finish with that run there's an exo man of war series that's going to follow that so they're just going to focus on one title at a time for about five months at a time, and then they're going to move on to the next one. This sounds pretty bad. This sounds really, really bad. Uh, this this is a publisher that came out of the gate ten years ago, exactly ten years ago, 
and hit the ground running. They swept the Harvey Award nominations. They won Publisher of the Year for the uh, the Diamond Gem Awards. They set sales records. It was such a great time to to cash in on the Valiant Universe. And only 10 years down the road, it really seems like history's repeated itself. A big company that, well, not a big company this time, but a company that wanted to make a quick couple million bucks off of some funny book characters, bought the company just to harvest IP from it, and suddenly, very quickly, the comic books and the comic book creators are hung out to dry. Uh, fantastic. Uh, great. <sighs> I really I really have to wag my finger at them starting the movie deal with Bloodshot, by the way. It makes sense on a fiscal level. I get it. He's the cheapest concept to pull off cinematically. He's mostly just a guy with pale skin who shoots guns. That's a lot easier and cheaper than kids with superpowers, I guess. But just imagine if the MCU had started with The Punisher. How ridiculous would that have been? How disastrous would that have been? Well, we now know, because we have the Valiant movie, the Valiant cinematic universe, the VCU, which, uh, much like, uh, much like uh, Universal's Dark Universe, is going to be one movie long. Uh, anyways, pour one out for Valiant, and check out the comics, because... Those 2012 title reboots were really, really good. Harbinger had a lot of strong writing about teens and trauma. Archer and Armstrong was a really funny satire about evangelicals and history being written by the victors and that kind of stuff. Uh, Quantum and Woody was a really cool title that was very funny, like surreal Deadpool kind of humor and action. And then Dr. Mirage and Shadow Man were more in line with, like, the Doctor Strange or Shang-Chi kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of culture-specific spiritualism stuff. And all of it's probably going to dry up and go away pretty soon, which is depressing. But hey, but hey, we've got more depressing news about... Uh, the ever-present theme of corporate acquisition that's been running through the last three weeks of this new recipe of media sandwich. I'm sorry, but that theme continues into television news. The big, big story in television this week, it just happened today as I record and release this episode. The CW has been sold to a new majority stakeholder. So, while my TV news coverage has always leaned further towards, like, streaming television and, you know, criticism of, you know, narrative shows. This is actually a big news item for broadcast television in general. Uh, we'll get the context out of the way for those of you who might not follow this stuff, or maybe, you know, you live in a country where this stuff doesn't cross your radar all that much. The CW has been a really unique animal of a television network in the U.S., since it was formed by the merging of Warner Brothers WB Network and the CBS Studios-backed uh, UPN Network. That was back in 2006. For one thing that makes it weird and unique, the strategy of the CW has always skewed really, really young in audience. A lot younger than its peers. Uh, and it's always had a lot fewer scripted shows than its peers as well. You know, uh, they relied on a lot of syndicated stuff. Uh, local sports, at least for my affiliate, has been a big thing. But a lot fewer shows relying a lot on cheaper Canadian productions a lot of the time. 
And uh, another thing is that the network, the CW, has never actually turned a profit since 2006. Never, ever has it turned a profit. Uh, But that's honestly because it was never really designed to be profitable. It was designed to be a buyer of programming from its parent companies, Warner Brothers and CBS Studios, which it did consistently over the last, you know, 15 years. Hence the DC Arrowverse, Kung Fu, Supernatural, all of all of the shows when you think CW, those were directly from the uh, the parent companies. So naturally, Warner Brothers, which is now Warner Discovery, and CBS Studios, which is owned by Paramount, Uh, they've decided, hey, hey, they have their own cable and streaming platforms now that need exactly the right market content that they funnel directly to the CW usually. So maybe they ought to quietly step out of the broadcasting business and slip into something a little more comfortable in the form of Paramount Plus and the Paramount Network, as well as HBO or HBO Max slash Discovery Plus, Whatever Tetsuo monster we end up with out of that coming soon, whether we want it to or not. Uh, So, yeah, those companies agreed to sell a 75% stake of the CW to Nexstar. And both of those companies, both of the original parent companies, will retain a 12.5% stake each. So who's Nexstar? Well... Nexstar is one of those media conglomerates you hear about every once in a while who owns a frightening amount of local affiliate television stations in dozens of markets across the U.S. Another one that you may have heard of is Sinclair Media. Um, But Nexstar also owns a cable news network called News Nation. They recently rebranded to News Nation. Used to be WGN America. And uh, they also own the Washington, D.C. online uh, newspaper outlet, The Hill, covers, you know, American politics. And they happen to be a big broadcasting partner of the CW already. Most of their stations are CW affiliates, so it's a natural pivot point into owning the content that they're broadcasting. It's a pretty easy business decision on their part. It's funny because it sounds a lot like the plot of Succession on HBO, which I know I cite a lot on this podcast when I'm talking about these big companies. I realize that I do that too often, but the show is that show is literally about a huge corporation gobbling up local television businesses in order to distribute a more biased version of the news to more viewers. That's kind of the that's kind of the inside baseball thing that's going on behind all of the Byzantine Shakespearean family drama happening. Uh, as far as next star goes, although they are very less overtly political than say Fox news, uh, next star, they do have a political action committee in which they've funneled thousands of dollars in support to candidates across the board in America. They contributed to hardcore right-wingers like Ted Cruz or Kevin McCarthy. They've also contributed to establishment Democrats like Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein. So, you know, what are the political implications of this deal? I don't know. I'm really not smart enough to give you a relevant commentary on that side of things, but it could be potentially frightening, at least in terms of the ever-growing homogeny of 
you know, political discourse that's going to be given to people in the form of news segments, quote unquote news segments. You've heard the phrase must run. Uh, local news networks have that thing where their parent companies filter down these must run news packages that kind of betray their political leanings a little too much. And it's been happening a lot in America, especially in the last couple of years. It's been more overt and more disastrous. Uh, but I can't really get into the the meat and potatoes of that as much because I'm just not smart enough. What I can comment on is the consequence from an entertainment standpoint, from like scripted content, scripted media. On the one hand, all of those CW shows that conveniently drop onto Netflix so that you can catch up or binge five straight seasons of Supernatural if you want to... Don't be surprised if that's not going to happen anymore. That Netflix deal, uh, be prepared for all of those shows to leave Netflix soon because those two parent companies are just salivating to have those shows on their own platforms now. All of the DC Arrowverse shows will go to HBO Max, at, you know, at least for the time being, until it morphs into whatever it'll become with Discovery+. Plus. And all of the all of the stuff that Paramount and uh, CBS Studios created will probably go to Paramount Plus. Uh, the Netflix deal that the CW had with all of those shows it was an absolute goldmine back when Netflix was the big fish out of what maybe three total fish in a very tiny pond. But things have changed now, and those companies are going to be making shows with their own platforms in mind as the end game, as the end. Uh, home for those programs and they're maybe casually selling them for broadcasting rights to the CW just as a little bit of a sweetener right now so you're gonna have shows being aimed much more narrowly at the subscribers of those platforms rather than at broadcast audiences from those two uh, those two parent companies but in terms of the network itself and Nexstar, their new parent company, the CW is going to be the target of, I would imagine, lots of cost-cutting and profit-forward decisions. Like I said, it's never turned a profit. And Nexstar, they are profit-specific. So for the first time in 15 years, the CW is going to have to turn a profit. So you can expect they're going to diversify the scripted content and where it'll be bought from. It won't just be from, you know, Warner and, and Paramount. It'll be from anywhere they can get it. You're probably going to get a lot more unscripted content uh, to fill out those hours in between the more expensive scripted stuff. Uh, don't expect any more giant DC crossovers. I'd be surprised if any of the Arrowverse shows are on the CW within the next couple of years. They're probably all going to go away. I mean, for instance, you, you, everybody saw the cancellation massacre a few months ago on the CW, including Batwoman, Legends of Tomorrow, the 4400, Charmed, Dynasty, a bunch of others, Supernatural finally ended. I mean, yeah, they, they teed up uh, spinoff shows for Supernatural, and uh, I think there was a spinoff show of Nancy Drew. That one got canceled too, though, I think. Uh, they got a spinoff show of... They had a spinoff show of The Vampire Diaries, also got canceled. And they had a spinoff show of Walker, the Texas Ranger reboot, starring the guy from Supernatural. 
So they're trying to capitalize on the CW specific stuff, but a lot of it's not finding purchase in its first season. And that's another thing. And that's another thing. They will not be giving shows three or four seasons to figure out what they are anymore. The way they did with like legends of tomorrow, that's going to go away. It's going to be more like the Netflix model of you have one season perhaps two if you're lucky and if the numbers don't increase dramatically you're going away instantly and another thing and if i had to guess i'd say that next star will be putting a lot of that uh uh news nation content from their did from their uh cable news network and weaving that into the cw brand because Look, these little local news conglomerates, they really see younger audiences like the one that the CW has cultivated as a white whale, you know, an untapped oil well of consumers who foolishly get most of their news on social media because it's 2022. You know, it's an untapped reason. It's a gold mine. There's gold in them there hills, they think. And I would also bet folding money that they're going to try to capitalize on the, the CW app. Uh, and and the streaming app uh, and its infrastructure for the exact same purpose. The CW app is probably going to become a launching point for a news nation on demand news entertainment kind of thing, a more Fox news uh, modeled kind of thing, not necessarily in terms of message, but in terms of formatting uh, that that's what I'd bet. So yeah, Keep your eyes open and keep your head on a swivel for when those changes arrive for the CW. And in general, just remember to stay aware of this kind of stuff. You know, I know there are people making far more money than any of us who are constantly thinking of ways to leverage your entertainment habits, your idle streaming video habits into just a few more bucks or a few more political favors in their little chess games that they play. And while it may be depressing to be aware of it, you might just want to say, cripes, Kyle, just let me enjoy things like the new Supernatural spinoff called The Winchesters, which is coming to CW soon. I say absolutely fine. It's okay to enjoy things. This this world stinks so pungently on any given day. I don't want to step in the way of anybody who just wants to watch a TV show and enjoy it. But also, come on, you know, come on. You need to see the carnival barkers coming at you. Otherwise, our generation is teeing ourselves up. We're, we're coming frighteningly close already to the same pitfalls of our parents' generation. You know, I mean, they have an industrial-sized vat of somebody else's opinions dropping into their gullets every night via a quote-unquote news network. And enough people not paying attention to that kind of stuff ends up shaping events in our world for years in real time. We've been seeing it a lot lately, and you've got to be aware of it. you got to put on your rowdy rowdy piper glasses and check the landscape every now and again. But, uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, checking in on Media Sandwich and all the headlines that we skimmed over the top of. And if you've got any uh, news tips of things, maybe some some better news that, you know, doesn't depress you as much, send them to me and I'll definitely take a look and uh, put them on the show. Uh, you can send things to me at Kyle Martinak on Twitter or uh, to the show at media underscore sandwich. You can 
You can email the show at uh, mediasandwichshow at gmail.com, or you can uh, drop a, a comment on the Facebook posts, which is facebook.com slash mediasandwichshow. And check out all of the great stuff that we've got teed up at uh, media-sandwich.com. Uh, recently did that review of Prey. I mentioned Prey earlier. That movie was great. Read my review of that. Uh, we've got television reviews. I'm going to be doing one this week of A League of Their Own, the Amazon League of Their Own show that dropped. Uh, 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 video game reviews every once in a while, which I call Casual Fridays. We did one of those recently. And uh, videos. We've got videos dropping soon. I keep promising it, and it is happening. I'm going to be making them as soon as I find time. But, yeah, check check stuff out, and uh, like, subscribe to the show on your podcatcher, or directly via our RSS feed, as always. And thank you very much for listening. I've been Kyle Martinak, and I'm a little depressed by all this news, so I am going to go have a nice antidepressant. And by that I mean sandwich. <laughs>